Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we are in the third week today of a trilogy of messages that we've been walking through on the life of King David that we have called the Lord of the King. What we've done is we've looked at the 17-year period of time in David's life from the time he was anointed by Samuel and, and told that he would be king to the time he was coronated king of Israel, a period of 17 years. In that time, we've looked at King David's life to see what we can learn about the Lord and how we can follow Him. We mentioned last week Uh, There are 66 chapters of Scripture that are dedicated to the life of King David. Uh, God has given us an incredible volume of information here because there's something that He wants us to see, and we've begun to mine that over over three weeks together. Uh, The first week, we saw that the path to promise doesn't always look promising, but God wants us to continue to persist in faith down that path. Last week, we looked at David's relationship with Jonathan, and we saw how God showed up and ministered to David during this difficult season of his life through his friend Jonathan, whose love and fellowship were true because Jonathan gave up his rights for others. Uh, This Sunday, we're going to continue this series and wrap it up by looking at two struggles, two towering struggles that David experienced in his life and looking at them a little more uh, in depth. So before we do that, though, let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much for today, and thank you for uh, your word and the opportunity to look into it. Father, I pray that you would speak to each of us today uh, through me and through your word. Father, that your spirit would, would be at work here. We don't want to hear just from me. We don't want to just take up the next few minutes of our time. We want to hear from you, and I pray that's what would happen. And I pray, Father, that you would protect me from saying anything that you wouldn't want said. But if I do say something, Father, that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. But anything I share today, Father, that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, we would walk forward from this place in it in the power of your Spirit, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the walls of my bedroom growing up were a number of posters. On each of these posters were some of my sports heroes. Uh, On one wall was a big poster of Larry Bird, Larry Legend, uh, sitting in a large bird's nest atop a basketball goal. I I remember thinking back on that poster, why in the world did Larry ever do that? Uh, But he did, and it was on my wall growing up. I had posters of Magic Johnson and posters of Dr. J and, and all these guys all around my, the walls of my room. I love basketball, and I, I, I had all these sports heroes. But, but the, the guy that took up the most wall space in my house was Michael Jordan. I had lots of Air Jordan posters. This is one of them uh, that I had up on my wall. I loved Michael Jordan. And, you know, some people love Michael Jordan because of his incredible ability to fly through the air and dunk and, and all that kind of stuff. But the reason why I love Jordan, the reason why I still you know, have fond memories thinking back on his career is because he was such a great winner. You know, when I think about Michael Jordan's career, uh, this is my perception. 
that he won every game he ever played in. And he took the game-winning shot to win that game, and he made it every time. That is how I imagine Michael Jordan. And, and so thinking back on Michael Jordan, thinking back on his career recently, I, I did a little study. Uh, what I saw was that Jordan played in 1,251 games. It's a lot of games in the NBA. You know what? He didn't win all of them. Uh, he, he won an incredible number of those, the, losing only about 300 out of 1,251. But still, he didn't win all of them. Furthermore, uh, what's really interesting is in games that Jordan played in, uh, he only took a last-second shot within the last 20 seconds of the game to win the game or to tie it 51 times. Think about that. It's only 4% of the games he ever played in came down to a last-second shot that he took. You want to know how many he made? 25. You know what that means? He missed more than he made. Now, I'm not up here to dethrone a legend. He still is the greatest basketball player, in my opinion, that has ever played the game. But I think it is interesting and does illustrate the point that when we look back on history, many times we look back with blinders on, don't we? We look at it and we say, Jordan was a winner, therefore he always made every shot, he always won every game, he always came down to the last second, because that's the things that we remember. When we look at history with those kinds of blinders on, we get unrealistic expectations for what reality is. See, in reality, Jordan missed more than he made. In reality, he didn't win every game. But as a fan, we look back with blinders on. You know, if that happens in our sports lives, it also happens in our spiritual lives. You know, when we think about the events of Scripture, Sometimes we look back with blinders on. We look at certain biblical characters with blinders on that say, this happened, but that didn't. We look back remembering only these successes, but not necessarily the struggles. I think of King David, for instance. What's the most famous event in David's life? Slaying Goliath, right? That's the event. That's what everybody knows. That's what kids have on their wall. That's the story you learn when you're a child. That's the story you learn when you're older. It's the icon that gets repeated over and over again as the small school beats the big school in, in March Madness, right? It's David slaying Goliath. It's the story we know about David. And if we're not careful, we can, we can look at the Scriptures and look at David's life with blinders on. And those blinders tell us that Every giant David ever faced went down within hours of him confronting it. Because that's what happened with Goliath, right? David showed up on the scene. He's taking some food to his brothers. This big bad bully is screaming out from the other side of the valley. David picks up a rock. He throws it, hits Goliath, and he collapses immediately. Within hours of David hearing Goliath cry out, David had slayed the giant. And if we're not careful, we can look at that event and say, you know what? If I have faith like David, then the giants in my life will come down immediately also. Because that's what happened to him. But when we look at David's life that way, we're looking at it with blinders on. We're seeing only one event. The reality is that David faced other giants in his life that didn't go down so quickly. A second 
power that David faced was Saul. See, Goliath was over seven feet tall, right? We know he's a giant. But Saul, king of Israel, was also described as one who stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He was another tall man. Like Goliath, Saul also wanted to kill David. Like Goliath, David also would contend for a section of his life against Saul. He would have to deal with the the hate that Saul was spewing. But unlike Goliath, Saul didn't go down within hours of him coming out against David. Saul stood in opposition to David for years and years and years. When we take the blinders off and we see all the statistics of the book of 1 Samuel, we realize that David didn't fell every giant immediately. There were some that lingered. There were some giants that just wouldn't fall. It's important for us to think about that. It's important for us to wrestle with it because we live in a world where the giants that we face don't fall quickly either. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Let's think of maybe an example uh, of that. What about if you were to lose your job on Tuesday? You go into work ready to tackle another week, tackle another project, and your boss calls you in and says, you know what, we don't need you anymore. You're let go for whatever reason. A giant has just arisen, the giant of financial oppression, and it wants to beat you up. And you are walking out of the boardroom, and you're walking to your car, and you're praying, dear Lord, provide for my family. Show another way another job, whatever it might be, and you're, you're making this walk and you're praying that, and if, if the giant is like Goliath, a Goliath-like situation, then on the way to the car, a leaflet will blow into your face, and you'll pull it out, and it'll be a job, uh, somebody's looking for somebody to do a job that exactly meets your qualifications, that pays $500,000. And they're interviewing right now, right across the street, You read the leaflet, you walk across the street, you have the interview, you get the job, and you go home not having to tell your family that you don't have a job anymore, but saying, guess what, I've just quadrupled or quintupled or whatever upled our income in one fail swoop. The Lord has answered. Goliath has fallen. Some giants are like that. Some giants, though, are more like Saul. Take the same instance. Go to work on Tuesday, lose your job, you leave there, you're walking to the car, you're praying the same prayer, Lord, please do something, provide for my family, another job, whatever it is, you get to the car, no leaflet hits you in the face, you drive home, you rehearse the speech to your family, you get out, you go in, you share that speech, and a week later, no job, a month later, no job. Two months later, no job. Seven months later, still looking for a job. Suddenly, that giant is not like Goliath laid out in a couple hours. That giant is like Saul, still standing as the days go on and on and on. How about with a medical situation? Maybe you've gotten a diagnosis and 
it looks rather grim, and, and, you, and you pray, Lord, may it not be this, this way. May you, you heal my body, and your, your friends pray. And, and what looked like it was going to be certain cancer ends up being something that doesn't show up in the second test or the third test, and it's gone. Suddenly, the giant that rose up of physical pain and suffering is felled immediately, and, and you're happy. But what, what about if that giant's more like Saul? You get the diagnosis, and then you have a procedure, and you think it's successful, but it's not completely, and there's more that needs to be done, and there's this that has to be done, and it goes on into months and years, or it's chronic, or it's going to be with you the rest of your life, or it takes your life, or whatever it might be. It, it, suddenly, it's not a Goliath type of a giant. It's Saul. What about difficulty? Somebody has a bad day, they pray, and, and they're, they're, they're cheery when they wake up the next day. Somebody else has a, has a tough day, and they, they, they pray the same prayer, and the next day they, they don't feel cheery. They feel a little worse. The next day a little worse. Pretty soon they're in full-blown depression because the feelings of, of whatever is going on in their life have continued to shadow over them. Unlike Goliath, it didn't fall immediately. It's like Saul, it's there for days and months and years. See, the question we got to ask ourselves is, what do we do when the giant doesn't fall? We need to realize that David had these two towers that he dealt with. We need to realize and remember that, because if we don't, we'll spend our time beating ourselves up because we don't have faith like David. If we had faith like David, all of our giants would fall immediately. But because we don't have faith, we beat ourselves up if we think that everything in David's life was like Goliath. But the reality is that David had Saul. The same David who trusted the same God with the same faith had some things that were dealt with immediately and others that lingered for years. And as believers in Christ, we will experience the same We'll have some issues that will resolve quickly, but we'll have others that will linger on. And what do we do with that? How do we process that? How do we deal with that? That's what we're going to look at today. As we conclude our series of messages, we look at these two towers in part three of this trilogy. And and as we do that, we're going to see two things, and we're going to look at a variety of verses We'll support it some from David's life, but we're going to look at some very famous passages in Scripture that talk about dealing with difficulty that persists. And we're going to see a couple of things. The first thing that we're going to see is this. Faith grows in giant shadows. Faith grows in giant shadows. You know, shadows are cast not by fallen giants. Shadows are cast by giants who are standing. And when a giant persists, it casts a shadow into our lives. And one of the things that we see in Scripture is that God will use that time and that shadow to grow our faith. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Again, a very famous passage of Scripture, but very important when we talk about this topic. James says this, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That verse indicates for us that when we find ourselves facing a various trial, a giant that persists, that one of the things that God is wanting to do is to perfect us, to grow us, to mature us in our faith and our trust in Him. That's God's goal in the midst of that. But, but we may wonder, well, well, how does He do that? Why does it work that way? And Paul gives us some indication of why that is so over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, in verses 7 to 10. And in these verses in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing some of his most personal thoughts of all of his epistles. He's sharing some things that are, are very close and personal in his life. Uh, and he says this in beginning of verse 7. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong." See, what Paul is talking about there is he's, he's thinking of an issue in his life that was a giant that was lingering. It was a giant that just wouldn't fall. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. Uh, scholars for 2,000 years have given different hypotheses on what they believe that thorn was. Some believe it was a spiritual issue, some kind of a depression or, or a, a spiritual difficulty that he had. Some have seen it as a temptation there was something that Paul was particularly tempted in, and it was over and over and over again he was tempted by it. Others see it as something physical. Maybe he had malaria. Maybe it was a problem with his eyesight, something like that. For 2,000 years, people have guessed at what the thorn in the flesh was, and for 2,000 years, there's been no agreement that has been come to by biblical scholars. The reason why I think that's so is that God left it intentionally vague. I think God left it intentionally vague because he didn't want us to get high-centered on whatever the ailment Paul had was, so that we couldn't say, well, he's not talking about blindness, so I'm not, didn't have anything to do with me, or I don't I deal with depression, so it has nothing to do with me, or I don't, I don't have malaria, so it has nothing to do with me. The reality is that this thorn in the flesh is left vague, I believe, and applied in a very broad way in verse 10 with calamity and difficulty and distress, because it's representative of anything in our lives that is uncomfortable and difficult that lingers. Paul says it was so uncomfortable for him that he asked the Lord three times for it to go away. I don't think that that was just the only three times he ever asked. I think that's Paul's way of saying, I kept asking that God would take away this distress or this difficulty. But God came back and said, no, it's going to stay. The giant will continue to stand. And Paul says the reason why that is so, the reason why God had that giant linger is that there was some maturing and growth that God wanted to do in Paul's life through it. Paul basically says, God left this in my life so that I wouldn't become cocky. And Paul's an apostle. Paul's writing Scripture. 
Paul's planning churches. Paul's involved in all kinds of great ministry and has this incredible testimony. And it would have been possible for Paul, as it is possible for all of us, because we have this independent streak within us that wants to go our own way, like we sang earlier, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We, we all have this propensity within us to walk away from the Lord, to do things our way, to be self-sufficient. Because of that, Paul says that God did not remove this struggle from his life so that he would continue to be in a spot of need. So he would continue to be in a, in a frame of mind that had him independence upon God, not independence from God. That's why the thorn persisted in Paul's life. That's, that's what he said. Um, and in the midst of that, God whispers into his ear and he says, hey, you may feel weak right now, but what you need to know is that I'm with you and my grace is sufficient for you. See, in our lives, when we find ourselves with a giant that just will not fall, we need to come to grips with the fact that in that shadow, God wants to grow us. God wants to develop our faith. God wants us to, to in that shadow, come to trust Him more and more and more with our lives. He wants to whisper in our ear in that shadow, my grace is sufficient for you. Not in your weakness, not in your strength, but in your weakness. God wants to grow us in these times of difficulty. A.W. Tozer has mentioned a couple of different things that I think are very helpful in this understanding this. Uh, Tozer says this, first of all, he says, It is doubtful that God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Isn't that a profound thought? Sometimes we see that and think, well, that's kind of masochistic or something. You know, and what, why would God want to hurt his people? Why would God want to hurt his children? Well, I think the reality is that all of us on our own devices want to wander away from God. And our weakness, our difficulty becomes the root anchor within us that, that helps us to realize that we can't do this on our own. When we have pain from a giant that lingers, that pain is there for a reason. It's, it has a purpose, and that purpose is to draw us back to the Lord to cause us to fall down and realize that we need Him, to ask for His provision and to hear Him whisper in our ear as He did to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. See, one of the things we need to remember is that faith grows in giant shadows. Tozer goes on and says this. He says, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfere with God's work within us. It's a powerful thought to think that sometimes the greatest obstacle between us and getting deeper with the Lord is our willingness to give up control our willingness to give up and realize that we're weak and we need Him. Paul said the thorn 
which was the giant that remained in his life, created a shadow that caused him to be dependent upon the Lord. And the reality is for us, the same thing is true. If you're facing a giant issue this morning, know that God's purpose and plan for you right now is that you would grow deeper with him. First thing that we can see is that faith grows in giant shadows. But the second thing that we want to see this morning is this. Faith grasps the giant. Faith grasps the giant. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in in this story, we're talking about these two towers, this tower of Goliath and this tower of Saul. One fell quickly, the other lingered on. But when you think of things from an eternal perspective, neither Goliath, well over seven feet tall, or Saul, head and shoulders above the rest of Israel, neither of them were really giant. Neither of them were really tall. They both were just playing a part within God's sovereign plan for the universe, and both would eventually fall. The true giant of the book of 1 Samuel is the Lord Himself. The the true giant of eternity is, is God and His truth. And when we are facing these giants, what the Lord desires for us is that we grasp onto Him, that we grasp onto truths that He has revealed about Himself that help us and enable us and empower us to carry on even when we're standing in a shadow. And there's a couple of those truths that I want us to look at today. The first truth I think we need to look at is this truth that we are not alone, that God is with us. God is with us in the shadow. God is with us wherever we go. God has made promises to us. And David realized that. When you look back at the book of 1 Samuel and chapter 17, when David goes out to fight Goliath in verse 46 and 47, uh, David speaks to Goliath, and this is what he says. He says, the, the day, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. David was quite convinced that the Lord was with him, and that any victory he had was going to come through him. Uh, that was true in his fight with this giant Goliath. It was also true in David's struggle with this giant, this tower, Saul. Over in chapter 24 uh, of 1 Samuel and verse 15, uh, David is speaking to Saul. He's having a conflict with him, and they're meeting on this field, and, and David says this to Saul. He says, "'May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand.'" David had this very sense, whether it was Goliath or whether it was Saul, that the Lord was with him in both battles. The timing was the Lord's, the plan was the Lord's, and any victory that David might gain in either fight was going to be the Lord's. David had a sense that God was with him. And you know, as we stand in the shadow of these giants of our lives, we need to remember that the Lord is with us as well. Over in the book of Hebrews, in, in chapter 13, in verse Five, we have a, a very famous statement where the Lord says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said something very similar when he is ascending into heaven and he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 20, I'm with you always 
to the end of the age. We have promises that God is with us. He has sent His Spirit to indwell our hearts and our lives as a reminder of His presence with us. God is with us just as He was with uh, David. And it's important for us to remember as we go through these giant struggles that the Lord is with us. Sometimes we, we think of our time and our struggle as we are here and God is somewhere, not here. God is somewhere else. When we begin to think that God is not with us, then we begin to approach our, our struggles, our giants, with, with a lot of, of, of difficulty. Sometimes we approach it with fear that we have no hope of ever progressing past it, of ever seeing anything else change because the giant just looks overwhelming. But I think oftentimes when we forget that God is with us, another product happens. And that is that we begin to forget that God knows and understands exactly what we're going through. See, if I'm going through a difficulty and I think that God is over there, then it's my job to communicate to Him what's happening over here in the midst of the struggle. And when I think it's my job to communicate to God what's happening in the midst of the struggle, then that opens up all kinds of opportunity for me to try to spin the situation, to change the truth, to, to, to tell Him how I should be feeling, not how I'm really feeling, to feel like He doesn't understand what I'm going through, whatever that might be. But when we remember that God is with us, then it changes our communication with Him in the midst of struggle. And that's exactly what happened with David. In the midst of the struggle that was going on and the giants that David was facing, uh, David was communicating with the Lord in very real terms because he knew that God was with him. Some 73 psalms in, in the Old Testament Psalter are credited to David. Either David wrote them or, or deal with something about events occurring within David's life. Of those 73 psalms, there's four specific psalms that uh, are, are mentioned in connection with events that happened during this 17-year period of time uh, that we've been looking at in this series, the time between David's anointing and his eventual coronation, uh, some of the struggles that he went through during that time. And of those four psalms, we're not going to look at all of them today, but I've got them on the screen. You can write them down, maybe look at them later. Psalm 18, Psalm 57, Psalm 59, and Psalm 142. What you see in these psalms as, as David writes them in the midst of a difficult season of his life, in the midst of a shadow of a giant that just wouldn't fall, David communicates very openly and honestly with God. Uh, psalm 142, the first two verses, gives a little hint of the kinds of things that David says in, this, in these psalms. He says, "'With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before him. See, David is communicating very openly and very honestly with God throughout these psalms, and it's because he knew that God was with him. There was no reason for David to spin the truth because God was in the truth. God was right there present with him, and so David could communicate freely and openly the things he was feeling, the, the things he was perceiving. He could relate to God in that way. You know, it's easy for us to forget that God is with us. You know, last year was a very difficult year for, uh, for us, uh, for our family. You know, many of you have, have heard this story many times, but my, my wife had a very serious health situation last January. Um, and things are, are much better now, but for a while it was, it was really, really rough. 
And uh, uh, sometime maybe January 26th or so last year was when things kind of bottomed out for her physically. Um, sometime around the 28th of January last year, things bottomed out for me spiritually and emotionally. And while she was in the hospital over at the Tecumseh branch of Norman Regional Hospital, I, I, I one, on the night of January 28th, I left the room and I went down to the lobby of that hospital and I just, I had nothing left. Um, and I, I, was, I was feeling scared, I was feeling uh, upset, I had all kinds of emotions running through me um, at that time, and, and I, was, I was conflicted because I thought, you know what, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I should not be feeling like this. That's, that's like the battle that's going on within me as I'm, as I'm downstairs. You know, not that, not that pastors don't have real feelings and not that I would have ever given that same advice to me, but I was beating myself up for the ways that I was feeling at that moment. And I, I remember beginning to pray in that lobby. And as I began to pray, I remember praying things, um, basically trying to spin my reality to God, to communicate things that I wasn't necessarily feeling just because I felt like that's what I ought to feel. And, and it was at some point during the midst of that communication that I thought, what in the world am I doing? God is here. God is not interviewing me for a job right now. He's present with me in this situation. And, and, it, and it changed the tenor of my communication. I began communicating a lot more freely with the Lord that night. And, and I, it, was, it was later that evening I sent an email to some friends uh, just to to, to join me in prayer, but it was some of the same verbiage was in that email that, that I was praying to God. And I just, I, I pulled that email up today and I, I underlined some of the things that I wrote at that time. I, I said, you know, one of the things, I'm, I'm so broken right now, I cannot even talk. I'm just so crushed by the events from today. It's the most painful thing that I've ever been through. I'm very scared about the future and I'm hurting for my wife. Um, you know, when, when I got past myself and realized that God was present with us, the nature of my communication with him changed. I, when I verbalized those, he didn't go, really? Like, yes, I know. My grace is sufficient. When you're facing the giant, and he is lingering over you, and you're sitting in his shadow. Remember and grasp onto the truth that the Lord is with you in that shadow. His grace is sufficient for you, and you can speak freely with him. Read some of these Psalms this week and just see how freely David communicated with the Lord during that time. We have a God who cares. Grasp onto his presence with you. But the second thing we can grasp onto, a second truth we can grasp onto, is that we are victorious. We are winners. You know, when David is dealing with the struggle of Goliath, and when David is dealing with the struggle of Saul, he was dealing with them with knowledge that he would win. God had given a promise of the land to the Israelites. God had given a promise of David to the throne of Israel. And so David walked into those situations, and God eventually made good on those things. He went in a winner. He went in victorious throughout that season of his life. And you know what? As we deal with the struggles that we're going through, we need to 
to remember that we are victorious as well, that God has promised us victory. The struggles that we have in this life, God will break through and remove some of them immediately. Some of them will linger, but ultimately, He's promised us victory. If not in this life, certainly in the life to come. Uh, just, Just listen, not intellectually listen. Listen with your heart to the promise that God has given to us in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, when when God describes our situation. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that passage is promising us? That passage is telling us we're victorious. He's won the battle. We can live in peace knowing what the future holds. And and knowing that we're victorious directly impacts how we live our lives. Knowing that we're winners directly impacts it. I, I, you know, I began with a basketball story. It's March Madness. I'm going to end with a basketball story. So forgive me. Uh, but I, I played basketball in high school. And one of the great gifts that our coach gave us as a team was he taught us how to think and behave uh, like winners. Uh, one of the things that, that he did in order to accomplish that goal was Every drill we ever did and every practice we ever had ended with us winning. Rather than him saying to us, okay, we're going to run this shooting drill for 10 minutes, he would say, we're going to run this shooting drill until we make 10 shots in a row. If that takes two minutes, we're done in two minutes. If it takes 10 hours, we're going to do it for 10 hours, but we're going to win this drill. When we would scrimmage against each other, the first team against the second team, the, 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 the first team would start the, the quarter, an eight-minute quarter, down 26 to nothing and be expected to win. He was, and if we didn't win, we'd play it again until we did. He was trying to build into us an expectation of winning. And because of that, it, it shaped our mentality in every game that we ever played, regardless of, of who we were playing, regardless of what the score was, we had the expectation that we were going to win because that's what we did every single day. And spiritually speaking, we need to, 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 to know and remember that we are winners. God has made us victorious. You know, if, if we had the mentality that we were losers that ultimately our future was uncertain or ultimately that we didn't have uh, any, any hope for the future. We might approach every day thinking, it really doesn't matter what I do today. I'm just going to kind of show up and kind of run out the clock till glory. But knowing that we are 
ultimately victorious, ought to inspire and encourage us to keep fighting. We don't know if the giant's coming down today, tomorrow, or in eternity, but we know he's coming down. Therefore, God wants to encourage us to live in light of Romans 8, to know that we are more than conquerors, and to keep fighting day in, day out, living out our life of faith before the Lord. See, the giants, some of them linger. But God grows our faith, and He wants us to grasp onto Him and to His truth and keep fighting as He leads us to where He wants to take us. With David, that was the throne of Israel. For us, it's the purpose that He has for our lives, and He's worth trusting. Let me, let me pray. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for this past three weeks that you have given us to look into your word and to, to see these truths from David's life. Father, I pray that we would be people who would trust you, whether the giant falls immediately or whether they stand and linger, that we would live life as victorious people, knowing your promise and your presence with us for the future. Father, thank you. We pray that you would help us to live in light of that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.